Hey, 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 what's up everyone? John Doherty, founder and CEO of GetCredo.com here back in your ears. Today, I have a very special guest on the podcast with me. Before I get into that, let me tell you a little bit about Credo. This episode is sponsored by Credo, which is my company, GetCredo.com, where we help clients find, vet, and ultimately hire the best digital marketing agency or consultant for their specific needs. Today's episode is with Liston Witherell, who is a sales coach, a Portland-based entrepreneur, an author, speaker, and advisor to agencies and consulting firms who are ready to move beyond the referral and scale their sales. Liston's work is based on cutting-edge psychology, behavioral economics, and his own sales experience running sales for a $12 million company. His mantra is serve, don't sell, and Liston believes that selling should be an ethical win-win arrangement 100% of the time. Listen, and I have been connected for a little bit. I was a guest on his podcast about consulting a few weeks ago, and we think a lot along the same wavelength about sales, how service business owners, consultants, etc. should be doing sales, how to do it best so that you get micro buy-ins along the way, you build internal advocates to help you sell work into these bigger companies that are going to pay you the big dollars. Our conversation here is about 25 minutes long. I think you're going to get a ton of value from it. He talks about a lot of things that are super actionable to service-based businesses as you're trying to sell up the value chain. So without further ado, here's Liston, and I hope you really enjoy this episode. All right, so Liston, welcome to the Credo Podcast. Um, So today we're going to be talking about the topic of sales. Uh, you had me on your podcast a few weeks ago talking about sales and and how I see consultants and agencies on Credo having the best success. Um, but I mean, you're the you're the guy when it comes to sales and comes to teaching agencies and consultants and service business owners how to sell better work. So if you would to kind of kick it off for us, could you give us the the cliff notes of who you are, what you do, how you do it? Uh, sure, I'll do my best. So, um, who I am? My name's Liston Witherell. Um, my website's Liston L I S T O N dot I O. Um, and what I do is I help people who are not trained salespeople and not professional salespeople be much, much, much more effective at selling. The reason I focus on independent consultants and uh, agencies and firms is because what I find is a lot of people get into the profession not fully respecting or understanding that selling is going to be such an important part of um, you know driving the bottom line that they're after and a little bit you know this is classic 80 20 pareto principle just a little bit of training goes a long way it'll like double or triple your abilities very quickly Um, so you know that's what i see is i really want to have an impact on those folks couple things that I focus on that might be a little bit different than, um, quote sales gurus. And dude, I really hate the term guru. Um, <laughs> I wish we could just friend. all agree to kill it. Guru and rock star should just go away. Oh yeah. Permanently. And self-proclaimed experts when they have nothing to show. <laughs> right. Um, uh, so, you know, one thing that's a little bit different about me is I really look at Um, science and data, behavioral economics and neuroscience and kind of how the brain actually works in order to deliver the advice that I give. So you're not going to hear me citing academic papers all the time, but I am reading them all the time. Um, So that's something that's a little bit different about me. The way that I do this is um, through coaching engagements or direct consulting. So I work with larger firms to train their people Um, to write sales playbooks for them, to uncover insights about their customers and how they can better 
uh, sell themselves. And I work with smaller firms through coaching engagements and, and in particular remote group coaching online. Very cool. Very cool. Um, and that's at Liston.io. That is. Which is a great domain name. I wish I had John.io. I should look at uh, acquiring that. That'd be sweet. You got to get a really weird name first and then ah, <laughs> the domain becomes easier. But <laughs> Liston.com was taken, which is funny. Oh, fair enough. Well, the, the IO, I like it. It's one character shorter, right? Yeah, there you go. Awesome. Well, so I actually didn't know that about you, that uh, you act, you go deep into the psychology and uh, I'm assuming it's a lot of like, you know, psychological triggers and basically like the human needs and all of that. I've been reading Jeff Walker's book, Launch, which is about launching products. It's not about mm -hmm. sales necessarily, though there are some uh, some carryovers and, and methodologies and all of that that are very similar to what I've found in sales. I uh, have a bit of sales training myself and very much the 80-20 um, I was trained in sales when I was selling uh, Cutco knives in college. Uh, oh man, great training ground. Me. Oh my gosh, it was amazing. And that's that's helped me out a lot um, yeah. over the years. But so do you? did you study that in university? Um, like what? what's your background with the, the psychology side there? Um, yeah, so um, I studied economics and political science um, and I have a master's degree in environmental science, which had a lot of economics as well. Like I had a class taught by a Nobel Prize laureate uh, economist. Um, so yeah, a, a little bit, it wasn't really sales in particular, but the thing that drives me is really understanding what makes people tick. Why do they do what they do? Right. And sales and marketing is a great place to apply that and to try to really figure that out. Um, most of my sales training came through just doing. So I ran business development and marketing for a $12 million consulting firm. Wow. Um, and, and then while after that, I kind of got into digital marketing myself and ran my own. I've been on my own for five years. And so constantly applying and, you know, knowing, as you know, if you don't sell, you don't eat. Um, and so uh, there's no, uh, no amount of pressure quite like that. Um, and so what I realized along the way, you know, first when I was doing business development for the larger firm, you know, I realized like we only had really one guy who was responsible for all of the business that came in. Hmm. Um, and I think that's true of a lot of firms. Um, and sometimes they don't even have uh, one guy or one woman who's responsible for it all. They have one client connection who's brought in everything and they're reliant on a Fortune 100 to just bring it all in. Yep. Um, but I also and realized- they basically have a boss. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, you know- it looks like a business, but if anything happens to that one client, it doesn't feel like a business anymore. Um, it, it feels like you've been part of a layoff. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I also found out that when I was competing against other people, one of the edges that I had when I was on my own was not that necessarily my work was so much better, but that I knew how to run the sales process and how to sell effectively. And that was the differentiator for me right up front. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And, and I, we very much found that at Credo as well. When an agency has a set process that they go through, and I think we talked about my, my process that I teach, the Credo process that we teach our agencies and consultants um, on, on your show. But um, we've also found that when, you know, it's not a take a piece of spaghetti and throw it against the wall and see what sticks, right? right. Um, which I'm sure we all did in college. I think my college house had like spaghetti hanging from the walls because we were testing it um, <laughs> for like a long time. It was really disgusting. But when you, when you have that process, that is uh, 
it's scalable, it's repeatable. You can teach it to others. So it's not just listen doing sales, but like you could hire other salespeople as the lead volume grew. You could teach them the process and know that, you know, th they might not close. You might close 75%. They might close 65%, but it's better than them closing 20% and them like, you know, literally costing you money as they're learning. You can just teach them the process and they can run with it. And then test it a little bit as well, right? They have parameters, but test it a little bit. And if they find something that works well, then you, they can teach it to the rest of the team. But that process is what enables companies to scale. Well, not only that, I mean, opportunity cost, right? So if you're the owner of the business and you're the most effective salesperson, it doesn't really matter, right? Because if you need to grow sales and the only way to do that is by adding people, it's okay if they're not as effective as you. I'll give you an example. Woodrow Wilson, the US president, was a famously fast typist. He typed over a hundred words per minute on an old analog typewriter. Wow. He was a faster typist than his secretary. Does that mean Woodrow Wilson typed all of his letters? No, no. right? Like he had bigger things to do with his time. So same goes for you as the owner of a company. If you're looking to, first of all, improve yourself and be in a position where you can teach someone else, um, you really need to have a process that starts to look repeatable and at least has core milestones that you want to hit every time. Totally, totally. And and also, if you're not, you know, a sales professional, right? I mean, you you were, I'm not. Um, but then if you have that process and you're kind of able to go through it, then, you know, say you close, say I close 60%, right? Mm -hmm. Then I can go and once my business gets to the point where I have that process, I can go and hire someone that is a sales professional. Mm -hmm. I did this six months ago and he's basically like, almost doubled our close rates. Like it's, mm -hmm. it's unbelievable because he is that professional. He knows it, right? But he could take the process that I know worked well and build upon that. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, it makes it much more scalable like as a, as a business, which is, which is amazing. So let's get into that, um, that, that sales process since you, since you brought it up. So um, one of the things that you've talked about uh, and, that, and that we um, you know, have kind of have riffed on, I've read some of your stuff um, as well, is talk about the initial, talk, talk to us about the initial like discovery process, that initial call that you have, what should the approach be um, to that call and, and getting to know the client? So the, the goal of the discovery process really is to learn, right? And I think this is, you mentioned in the pre-call, you wanna talk about mistakes people make. One of the biggest mistakes I see is people are pitching right off the bat and it's everything's about them, right? So I've had this happen to me where I show up for a demo of software or to hire a coach or a consultant myself and I show up to the first call and they just start really defensively promoting themselves, right? Here's why I'm so amazing and I'm going to list all, you know, basically I'm going to read my resume aloud to you. And first of all, that doesn't serve me at all because the thing that I'm thinking is, well, you don't even know who the hell I am. Why, like none of this may matter to me, right? So how can, how can you deliver relevance to me without understanding first who I am? So the goal of the discovery process, and most people, I think, um, you know, just to quantify it, we want to listen about 70% of the time and talk only 30% of the time, which means we have to ask great questions. And what we're really trying to figure out is what I call PGV, pain, goals, and value. What's causing the client pain that makes them think that they need some help right now? What are their goals that they're trying to achieve in solving that pain? And what value do those goals have? If they're able to achieve those goals, what would it be worth to them? Now, you don't necessarily have to quantify it. If you're listening to this 
Um, you know, you may be trying to drive incremental traffic, which is a lot easier to quantify, but you may also be, um, you know, selling logos, which is difficult to quantify. But there are emotional reasons people want it too, right? They may say, well, we want to be able to serve a different market and we feel that our overall position and brand image isn't there, right? So we need to update it. Well, that's right. a pretty strong reason, right? Um, and so asking- We're moving up market. We're trying to target bigger customers. Our current exactly. logo that our CEO designed in Photoshop five years ago isn't doing it, isn't, isn't cutting it anymore. And so we, we're ready to invest some money as part of the bigger picture we're left behind by the competition. Like we sponsored a conference and our logo next to the other five looked like crap, right? Oh, like man, those I are the that. kinds of yeah. emotional feelings <laughs> totally. that, that people are going to have. Yeah. And so you're going to want to figure out what those are. Now, the only way to figure those out is to ask questions and shut up. And then when they answer, ask a follow-up question, right? So I could go really deep into questioning strategies, but the real key thing for that discovery call is figuring out pain, goals, value. And this is really the dis overall discovery process. So there's something I call the physics of the sale, right? Okay. The more complicated, the more expensive the thing is that you sell, the more people on your buy side that are involved, the longer it's going to go, right? It's just right. by definition more difficult. So if you're selling to big companies, you're going to have to talk to legal and accounting and their boss and they need to develop consensus internally with their team, like all of these things, you can't really circumvent that. Um, so you may wanna run multiple discovery processes, but the key idea is we really need to learn PGV, pain goals value, before we can ever pitch. And only then could we determine, is there a fit and should we take the time to pitch or write a proposal? Right. Totally. I like that PG, PGV framework. Can you give me an example of a question? We don't need to go through all three of them, but a question that you would ask that, that a salesperson like yourself, if you're trying to sign a new client or you're trying to get a new you know, coaching client, right? A new agency mm -hmm. to, to help them out with their sales process. Uh, what's a question that you would ask to get at the pain? So I always start very open-ended. I would just say, so tell me what made you want to have this conversation today? right? And they'll just riff on it, right? And so if it's a coaching client, they may say something like, well, I just want to be better at sales. Um, I just want to, you know, have a process in place. I want to feel more confident when I'm talking to clients. And so if they said, I just want to be better at sales, I'd say, why do you think you're not good at sales? Hmm. So I want to get layers down, right? Sure. Oh, well, I, I had this one deal go sideways and you know, they're going to start to tell me in more detail specifics about what's actually going on. And that's the stuff we want to get to. And then you right? can ask things like they had one sale go sideways. You can ask, well, like, has, have you gotten that same feedback from other ones, from others that you pitch? Or have you seen this a few times? And exactly. Then, right. Is it, it a, is it a real trend? How much business is it costing you? Like all these things right. we want to figure out. We don't want to just know overall, like, what is the problem, right? Because sure. for like a Git uh, Credo customer, they would, you know, the, the, the problem quote unquote is we want more business, right? Well, okay. But that, that means probably Why? 15 different things to sure. all the customers you have. Sure. So we want to figure out the specifics and, you know, I just want to mention that this, uh, advice is really targeted at people selling more bespoke services and more, more higher end services. So sure. 5,000 or more 10,000 or more, something like that. Totally, totally. No, and that that completely makes sense. And we've seen the same thing with Credo where, you know, a $1,500 audit is going to sign pretty quick or a $700 audit is going to sign really quick that we don't 
really take those. Uh, we don't really refer those along, but yeah, we've in the past. So a few years ago, I had a, a slightly a different model for Credo and I had people that would sign up, they would be on and three weeks later they would churn out. And I'm like, what happened? You contacted like the people I told you you were going to be able to contact. I, you know, hit what I sold you. And they're like, yeah, but we haven't closed anything. And mm-hmm. I'm like, these are $5,000 deals here. Like if you expect that to close in two weeks, like then, you know, expectations are, are at minimum mismanaged there. Right. Yeah. Um, but then also, you know, I hadn't done a good job of teaching them the process. It's going to take longer, um, you know, for bigger projects as opposed to smaller projects, that sort of thing. Um, is the, uh, the process for when you go from, you know, someone that is doing the, um, you know, a 1500, well, actually let me ask the question a different way. When, if you have someone that's going from selling thousand dollar audits to $5,000 audits, mm-hmm. what's different there? What are the things that people often miss as they're trying to make more money from each client, pitch bigger work, pitch bigger clients? Well, there's lots of things, right? So like the overall value has to be greater that you're delivering. So your packaging matters a lot more now. Your overall sort of disposition, your confidence will affect your ability to sell that. But I think the most important thing is from the client side, they're taking on greater risk, right? So like this is the thing that most people miss about selling is if you just have a little bit of empathy, I know it's hard, especially for, for us men, but if you just have a little bit of empathy about how you would feel in that situation, you don't want to be ripped off, right? You don't want to be in a situation where you feel regret and you, especially as a business owner, I can tell you, I don't want to waste my time, right? So the greater cost to me of spending $5,000 while that is real money, I don't want to lose the three months that's going to go into that project. Right. And so that those are all very, very real risks. And so I think you need to spend a little bit more time to allay the risks and concerns of your client and be able to surface the objections um, in a much more systematic way. Because if you don't, you're going to find that this feeling of like, oh, it's taking forever to sell these deals. And, you know, it is going to take more than likely a little bit longer. Definitely. We see on average eight to 12 weeks to close a deal that's over 5K. So that's two to three months from the time you make the initial connection to that's really from the time we we see them first. And normally we have a call within a couple of days and introduce them within a couple of days after that. So really it's like seven to 11 weeks from the time we introduce them that they actually close. Um, that's pretty common, like across the board. I've seen that in other, you know, for um, just for my own consulting, right? Past companies I've worked at, that sort of thing. I think another part there is realizing who the client, who the, the point of contact is, the person you're speaking with. Because in these bigger engagements, it's yeah. often, you know, a director of marketing that asks their like junior marketing manager to go research agencies. Right. So they're just having calls, they're cranking through like 20 of them, trying to put together a short list and that sort of stuff. And if you're trying to pitch, you know, James, who's the, you know, the, the junior marketing manager, but really the, you know, Sally is the, the, the director of marketing that holds the purse strings and actually is going to be the person working on the project you know, you're off base. So there comes in some like salesmanship there with who are you? Why am I speaking with you? You know, are you the one making the decision? That sort of stuff. But maybe that doesn't happen on the initial discovery call, right? Well, so yeah, so this really, this is dependent on the process and who you're selling to, right? So like, I I can't give you one single piece of advice that's going to apply to everybody. But what is true for sure in your scenario is if you're pitching the junior person who's basically like a step above an intern responsibility wise, you just don't know your business very well. That's your fault, right? 
So if you're talking to James, but you know Sally is the person you need to get to, first of all, you can figure that out on LinkedIn. So do a little bit of homework. And when you're talking to James, one of the questions you would always ask, and I would do this early on, is tell me how the process will work for you to make a decision about who you're going to bring in to help you with this. And then James will tell you, well, you know, I'm collecting some information right now. I need to go back and talk to Sally about it. Great. So for me to continue this conversation, I'd really like to, to get Sally on the phone the next time we talk. Would you be open to that? Right. And now, now we want to go directly to the decision maker. The larger the company, you're never going to be able to talk to everybody. Um, and you're going to have to put a champion or influencer in the position to sell on your behalf generally, right? Cause they're going to go drive consensus. But you know, that's something that you definitely need to consider very, very early on is who's writing the damn check. Definitely. I know I love two things about what you just said, listen, one is like, it's your fault, right? Like tough love there. But like, if you're not figuring that <laughs> out on that call and like you're pitching the junior marketing manager who has no internal cachet, Right. That, that is 100% your fault right there. That's not the yep. agency's fault. It's not the refer. It's, it's not the, um, the client's fault. It's not the, you know, the person that referred it to you. It's not their fault. Like that is, that is your fault straight up right yeah. there. Um, and the second one is the, the internal advocate. I forget the influencer, I think is what you said, but like uh -huh. James, the junior marketing manager, as I said, no internal, no internal cachet. He probably doesn't have direct access, you know, to the CFO and whatever, but mm -hmm. you know, Sally, the, the director of marketing, she does. Right. And she might have her budget, but maybe, what you're telling her she needs and what she agrees she needs is more than she has outlined. So she has to go talk to her boss, the CEO, right? Or the VP well, of marketing. Yeah. I'll give you a current example, right? So I, I have a, um, a prospect and I've been working this deal for months now, like five months almost. And it's a large company, mid-market, like multi-billion dollar market cap company. Good for you. And the person I'm talking to is a global VP. Like she's a big deal at the company but she still needs to go drive consensus with five of her peers, right? So I don't Other have access to all of them. Yeah. Nor but, should you, yeah. <laughs> right, right. Well, you know, she, she, there's also the bit about like, let's not overcomplicate it because they have their own internal process. Um, but, you know, I have to help her sell on my behalf, right? And really right. put her in a position to say, hey, we're on a team together. We both want to get this project done. What's the best way to do that? How are we going to get other people to say yes to this? Definitely. Definitely. I love that. I love that. So tell me about getting that person to be uh, on your team, to be your internal advocate, to help you sell internally. You've talked a little bit um, in the past, you know, on your site about um, storytelling and telling a compelling story. Does mm -hmm. that uh, fit into this as well as you're establishing what the problems and the goals are and getting this person on board to then, you know, make it a no brainer for, you know, other global VPs to go like, yep, check, let's write, listen, a, you know, a huge check right here. Yes. Um, thanks for doing your homework, by the way, on, my, on my website. Um, so yeah, there's a few different things. Storytelling definitely plays a big role in it, but I also want to create investment and ownership um, in my influencer, right? So like one way I do that and there's kind of many steps you can do along the way. So like what I like to do before I ever write a proposal is I'll put together a mind map or just a quick little Google doc where I jot down like, here are the main beats of what we talked about and here's what I understand you want. Am I on track? And they're gonna read it and give you feedback, right? So now they I feel some, that. now they that. feel some ownership over how this whole thing is taking shape, right? And, and we have a reference point if in the future, they're like, oh no, we don't want that thing in your proposal. And I'm like, well, what changed? 
because three weeks ago we talked about this specifically, right? So you reiterated that you wanted me to include that. So let's talk exactly, about that. Exactly. So having them feel invested and some ownership over the way the thing takes shape, I think is a really big step. And the more time commitments you can get from them and the sort of more feedback loops you can put into the system, the better it's going to be. I 100% agree. I call that a micro buy-in. And mm -hmm. I teach all of our agencies and consultants that after even the initial discovery call, send them a recap. This is what we discussed. Get them to reply and say like, yes, that looks good. And then you reply with, okay, cool. Let's hop on a, you know, a longer call and go deeper on it. Um, you know, and then getting them to do that after that longer strategy call, getting them to buy in. Cause then it goes from like, oh, um, you know, this uh, brand name is pitching us on doing some SEO work for us to like, you know, Rick is at this agency is pitching us on doing this specific work. And I really like Rick. So let's look at his proposal first, right? Well, and we want to give them the impression like, I can't get this anywhere else, yes. right? Like we want to position ourselves as the only person who can deliver this exact thing. And one of the ways is to start making it feel a little bit more custom mm. and making it feel like an experience that they're part of. Definitely. And so, you know, I think, you know, we, you asked about big mistakes people make. And going back to that um, topic, I think a lot of people will write a standard proposal in what's supposed to be a custom consulting and large consulting relationship. They're sending out the standard proposal after one single call, and that is just an absolute mistake. And now you're going to pay for it when it comes to negotiation and when it comes mm -hmm. to expectations at the end, right? So I would be an advocate of working in a few more steps before you go to the trouble of writing that proposal. Absolutely. I actually get, and, and we're working on this with uh, within Credo as well, about making that, getting that buy-in a couple of times first and then making them, and then basically asking them if they would like a proposal, yes. proposing you, proposing to them exactly what you just told them you're going to propose to them. In which case the proposal becomes a formality to get to the contract. So I, one thing I tell all my clients is I don't want to see any surprises in the proposal, right? Yes. So you should not be covering any new ground in that document because if you are, you're now opening yourself up to restart the conversation almost from scratch Definitely. Um, and certainly opening yourself up to all forms of negotiation that you really don't want a, a part of. Definitely. Um, and so, yes, I agree. Verbal buy-in from the client where the proposal is just a reflection of your conversation is the way to go. And when we're already talking about sales processes that are taking six, eight, 12, in your case, what, 20 weeks in this one that yeah. you're working on right now? I measure it in months now. <laughs> yeah, we're almost to that months, point. Right? We're not even measuring it in weeks. Like you're, yeah. you know, you're, uh, you're halfway to having a child at that point, right? right. Like that is, uh, if you leave that door open for them to restart it, it might take you nine months to close that deal as opposed right. to five months, five and a half months. And so, um, yeah, there's a lot more pre-work that has to happen there up front in order to, um, you know, to, to kind of lock it down and set yourself apart from the noise. Um, don't let yourself just become another, you know, one of the 10 agencies that they're speaking with. You want to be that, oh, listen was awesome. You know, let's, let's listen's at the top of the short list, right? You can be on the short list if they have to have a short list, you have to be on the short list, but be at the top of the short list. That's right. Cool. Um, well, listen, this has been super, super helpful. I, th I feel like you and I could sit and riff on sales and psychology and all of that a lot. So next time I'm in Portland, um, beer or coffee is on me. Um, but if you would tell 
our listeners where they can find you online if they want to learn more about you, the work you do, and potentially uh, discussing with you to help them uh, square up their sales process. Sure. So um, you can find me at liston.io, L-I-S-T-O-N.io. I run a couple podcasts. One is called Modern Sales. One is called Consulting Growth. So one is just me talking about sales. So if you like this advice, there's plenty more on Modern Sales. You can also go to Consulting Growth where I interview wonderful people like you, John. Um, and that publishes twice a week. Uh, you can email me, liston at liston.io, or you can catch me on LinkedIn. And I am the only Liston Witherill you will find there. Wow. Fantastic. Fantastic. And I am actually subscribed to both of those podcasts and listen to them actively um, awesome. and have, have learned a ton. So listen, thank you so much for being on the show. It has been an absolute pleasure. I know I learned a lot. I hope everyone listening has learned a lot and uh, keep being awesome, man. Keep helping companies grow. Thank you.